proposition from rev george junkin part a from bible defense of slavery by josiah priest this librivox recording is in the public domain proposition from rev george junkin the hebrews were permitted by their laws to buy servants from the heathen to hold them in perpetual servitude and to transmit them as hereditary property to their children. This is a compound proposition, and may be broken down into three distinct parts. 1. They were permitted to buy servants, male and female, from the heathen. Exodus chapter 12, verse 44, Every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall ye eat thereof. This is decisive as to men's servants. Second proof, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 44 through 46. Both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are round about you, of them shall ye buy bondmen and bondmaids. Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall you buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession, and ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen for ever, but over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor. This passage is most conclusive as to the first subdivision. It also meets the second, viz., that the servitude is perpetual. They shall be your bondmen forever. And it is equally pertinent to the third, they could transmit these slaves as hereditary property to their children. But here, note particular, 1. They are property, possession. It is the same Hebrew word as that used in verse 41 to describe the landed estates to which the Israelites returned at the Jubilee. And unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. It is the same used to describe the Redeemer's right in his redeemed people. Psalm 2, verse 8. I shall give the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. It is the same used to describe Abraham's interest in the field of Ephon and the cave of Machpelah, after he paid for them, when the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. In short, this word is invariably used to signify ownership in landed estate, not transitory, but permanent possession. Let men, therefore, criticize as their fancy dictates as to men and women being viewed and treated as property. God's word says, unequivocally, they shall be your possession.
but it will be said, This is horrible. Human beings bought as property and held as a possession permanent. Well, abhor it, then, if it is horrible. But there it is on the sacred page. I have not asserted it. It is God's assertion. I have not said it is right. Neither, as I suppose, has God affirmed it to be right. All I affirm is that God's law permitted it to Israel. If you cannot endure it, with God be your controversy. And at his word be yet more horrified. For, two, this possession is perpetual. For ever shall they be your bondmen. It is a bondage durable as the life of the parties. Yea, more horrible still. 3. At the death of the master who bought the slaves, they do not go out free. They pass down as an inheritance to his children. They stand in all the legal relations of real estate. As such, the terms of the law speak for them. It is the same word as is used, Numbers chapter 33, verse 54, Ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance, etc. And chapter 34, verse 13, This is the land which ye shall inherit by lot. And Abraham inquires, How shall I know that I shall inherit it? Such is the condition of heathen slaves under the Mosaic law. Most unhappy men. Awful state of degradation. Hopeless bondage to them and to their children after them. But now, is it not obvious that the dreadfulness of their state depends very much upon incidental circumstances? Suppose they fall into the hands of believing masters, such as Paul speaks of, who will be kind to them and teach them the way of salvation through the Messiah. What is there so fearful in their condition? Look at what Isaiah says, chapter 14, verse 2, concerning heathen people. And the people of God shall take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and maidens. Assuredly, when the grace of God touches the hearts of these slaves, and they become God's freed men, their condition is infinitely better than that of their brethren according to the flesh, who are afar off from God and free in a physical sense. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. Proposition from Rev. George Junkin That God has nowhere in the Old Testament prohibited slavery. There is no command to this amount. Masters, let your servants go free. The relation of master and slave is nowhere condemned as a sin and forbidden to exist. The position here taken is expressed in three forms, to prevent, if possible, all misapprehension. 
if any man affirm the opposite let him adduce the proof if the relation of master and servant in perpetuity or for life be in itself and apart from all cruelties and abuses of power a horrible sin in the sight of god let us have the text from the old testament to condemn it permit me here to throw out a caveat against misconstruction and misapprehension although it is not our business more than our opponents to justify the ways of god to men yet i remark god has nowhere sanctioned slavery to sanction is to approve of and command as a thing that is right and that ought to be except in cases of forfeiture of liberty god has not commanded has not made it obligatory upon man to reduce his fellow into involuntary bondage on the contrary i take the distinction before alluded to that the bible tolerates slavery now toleration is bearing with enduring a thing and it implies that the thing is viewed as an evil job tolerated his boils and the foolish behavior of his wife we tolerate evils that cannot be instantly removed all wearisome labor of body or of mind is an evil all petulant peevish and vexatious conduct is an evil the perpetual harassment to which this synod has been exposed from year to year by the anti-slavery party is an evil hard to be endured yet the majority of the synod have tolerated it you have fought against it as napoleon said of the russians at the battle of smolensk with passive bravery but i hear our tolerated brethren say how long must this evil of slavery be tolerated are we never to see the end of it must all the light of the new dispensation be spent in vain cannot this dark spot be illuminated by it will you plead for its everlasting toleration be patient brethren god has tolerated this dreadful evil more than thirty centuries of years and he has tolerated yet worse evils he has tolerated you and us with all our sins and corruptions upon us with all our unkind speeches our hard sayings and heart-burnings and jealousies and anger and wrath and murmurings against god he has borne with us in our censures upon his word and his providence for this very spirit of tolerance to which we are indebted for an existence out of hell why does he not instantly cut off all evil from the earth either by cutting us off or by making us instantly and perfectly holy nay but o man who art thou that repliest against god be patient brethren with me and with god 
Let us proceed to the New Testament. What are its teachings on the subject of slavery? If slavery be the master sin of our world, if all other evils sink into insignificance in comparison of this great crime, if this fearful and desolating sin, this soul-damning sin, as brethren in this synod deem it, abounded under the Old Testament, surely the remedying of it will form a prominent feature of the new economy. Surely, when the Redeemer comes to cleanse the sanctuary and to purify the altar, which have, since the days of Gibeon's enslavement, been polluted by slave labor, he will, at least, drive away all slave labor from the temple and the altar. He will speak a plain and unequivocal language. He will make it to be clearly known that slavery is no longer to be tolerated in the church of God. If Jesus be an abolitionist in the modern sense, surely his new revelation will forever wash out the foul stain of slavery. Mr. Moderator, what think you? If our opposing brethren had written the New Testament, or any one book of it, would you not expect to find a strong and plain and unequivocal testimony against slavery in it? But now, sir, on the contrary, I fearlessly affirm that there is not a sentence in the New Testament which either expressly, in so many words, or by fair and just construction, forbids slavery. To avoid misconception, let me divide this compound proposition. I then declare, 1. That there is not a sentence in the New Testament which expressly forbids the having and the holding of a slave. 2. That there is not a sentence in the New Testament which, by fair and just interpretation, according to the rules of grammar, gives ground for the logical inference that the simple holding of a slave or slaves is inconsistent with Christian profession and Christian character. The proof of the affirmative lies on the affirmation. Let the man who elects himself to controvert either of these present his proof. But, lest none should be forthcoming, let us see how near an approximation may be made toward establishing these propositions in this negative form. Should any person affirm that between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. on the 19th of September, 1843, the present speaker had kidnapped a slave off a steamer lying at the quay in Cincinnati, I could prove a negative by proving an alibi, by proving my continual presence during that period of time in this or the adjoining village. Let us look into the New Testament for abolitionism and see how far an alibi can be supported. 1. My first subordinate proposition here is that the Greek word doulos, usually translated servant,
properly and commonly means a person held to service for life, a slave. This word occurs, according to Schmidius, about 125 times in the New Testament. Of these, omitting the parallel places in the last three Gospels, the following is a general classification, viz. 1. It is applied to servants of God and of Christ 34 times. 2. To servants of men, such as the householder and the owner of the vineyard, 34 times. 3. To the king who made the supper, and to him who took account of his servants, 10 times. 4. To servants of sin and Satan, 6 times. 5. To the servant of the centurion, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, 1 time. 6. To Christians, as servants to each other, Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, 1 time. 7. To Christ as God's servant, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, 1 time. 8. To Judaizing Christians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, 1 time. In all, 88 times, leaving about 37 as parallels. Let us now see whether in all these the idea of continuous perpetual servitude is not included. The first class, the servants of God and of his Christ, are life servants, bound under the most absolute authority to honor and obey and submit to his commands. They profess so to be. They have come near to the doorpost, and their ears have been pierced through with the arrows of his conviction, and they are his for ever. Moreover, they were unwilling when they bought them with a price, and they were unwilling until he changed them by his law, and made them both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. They are servants for ever under the yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Passing the second class as the one in controversy, we notice the third, Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, etc., and chapter 22, verse 3, etc. The master, in the former, like many in our day, had entrusted much of his property to his servants, to be employed for his advantage, and thus one of them was found to have acted very unfaithfully. He had squandered his lord's money. His master, just as masters now do, commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children. Now, if doulos does not express the relation of slavery, if it mean here a hired servant, how can we understand the transaction? Where is the law to sell a hired servant? And, if it be said, he was sold under the law, which makes indebtedness a crime, rendering the debtor obnoxious to sale, then we have slavery recognized. Take it either way, then you have the relation of perpetual servitude. The evidence is equally plain that the servants of the king, 
in waiting upon the marriage supper, were not hirelings, but perpetual servants. And here we may observe, as was remarked of the Hebrew terms, the Greek word misthotos means a hired person, one employed to work for wages, for a period long or short, as the contract may be. Such was the kind of service performed on Zebedee's fishing boat. James and John left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. And the Savior speaks of this kind of labor as not so reputable and trustworthy as the doulos. John chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. The hireling, misthotos, fleeth, because he as an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. It would seem that the doulos, the permanent servant, was the more trustworthy. Accordingly, it is universally agreed that the servants in the parable of the supper represent the gospel ministers, permanent officers of Christ's house, who would, therefore, be very unsuitably represented by the relation of a hireling, a temporary servant, working for wages. Besides, the kind of service at this feast is just such as slaves or permanent servants are usually employed at. Farther, the invited guests killed some of the servants, which it is not conceivable they would have done had they been hired persons. These things, in connection with the fact that the historian does not use misthotos, a word uniformly applied to the temporary relation of a hired person, as faithlessness to historical verity required, if the relation had been temporary, these, I say, must convince the candid that the doulos meant the permanent relation of a life servant. The fourth class relates to sins of slave and of Satan. John chapter 8 verse 34 Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant, doulos, of sin and the servant abideth not in the house for ever, but the son abideth for ever. If then the son make you free, ye are free indeed. Here the doulos is contradistinguished from the son, and also from the free person. So, Romans chapter 6 verse 17, God be thanked that ye were the servants, doulos of sin and second peter chapter 2 verse 19 while they promise them liberty they themselves are the servants douloi of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought in bondage he is made a doulos here again servant is contrasted with free besides there is express reference to the ancient and universal custom of holding and accounting prisoners of war as slaves. Men are taken captive by the devil, 
and are the servants of their captor. We need not here dwell, to show that it is a base bondage under which men are held, to sin and Satan, and that it is without limit in itself. It is designed by the master, and assented to by the slave, that he shall serve forever. And so it will prove, in every case, where our Redeemer does not interfere and deliver, by his almighty power, the poor slave from his cruel and yet voluntary bondage. Case fifth is that of the doulos of the Roman centurion or captain. That slavery prevailed all over the Roman Empire at this time, and that it was a most absolute and degraded slavery, wherein the master had the power of life and death at his own option, will not be controverted by any whose reputation for scholarship entitles them to notice at all. We cannot surely be expected to prove that the captain's servant was a slave. For a man to assert the contrary places him hors du combat, Case sixth relates to the services required from one Christian to another, and they are undoubtedly permanent and of perpetual obligation. As to the seventh, an insulated instance, describes the relation of Christ to God the Father. That it is permanent and for life is obvious and involves absolute submission in all things. The other insulated case is that of the Judaizing Christian, Galatians chapter 4 verse 7, who makes the ceremonial law a yoke of bondage, and himself a slave to it. Thus, if there is any exception to the absoluteness and permanency of the obligation and the servitude, expressed by the term doulos, it must be found in the second class, all the others imply entire subjugation, and that without limit, as long as the related parties exist. The servants of the householder, who have sowed good seed in his field, and of the man who delivered his talents for improvement, are so similar to the case of the marriage supper, that the same reflections are mainly applicable to these. So also of the owner of the vineyard, Matthew chapter 21, verse 35, etc. The only other case in the Gospels, that of the priest's servant whose ear was cut off, may easily be understood, by reference to the laws already cited, permitting the priests to buy servants. The others it is not my intention to go over in the detail. It would be tedious and would lead to the conviction that, without one exception, in all the contexts, the idea of absolute and permanent bondage to service would be found to harmonize best with the drift and meaning of the passages respectively. Persuaded I am, the case never will be made out, where doulos necessarily means a temporary servitude, at the option of the servant. Many of the remaining passages will, however, come up in other connections. Meanwhile, I rest in the belief that the great mass of unprejudiced minds must admit 
that doulos properly means a slave let us however make this clear to a demonstration by the argument from contrast if we find two words used in opposition to each other the meaning of one being ascertained will forcibly illustrate that of the other now free man and slave are such terms they express opposite ideas he who is free cannot at the same time and in the same respect manner and sense be a slave in different senses such opposite terms may agree a man may be a slave to tobacco and whiskey and yet a free man in a civil sense still freedom and slavery are opposites and if i show that to be free means a state wherein a man is under no obligation to work or labor for another the other has no power or claim over him so as to compel him to work and if i show that this state is contrasted to another as its opposite then that other is a state of slavery and bondage here let me refer to the cases already cited for another purpose john chapter eight verse thirty four he that committeth sin is the doulos or servant of sin but if the son make him free then he is free indeed here doulos and eleutheros a slave and a free man are contrasted again in romans chapter six verse seventeen ye were the douloi servants of sin but being made free here is the same contrast so also second peter chapter two verse nineteen while they promise them liberty eleutheria they themselves are the douloi slaves of corruption first corinthians chapter seven verses twenty one and twenty two art thou called being a servant doulos care not for it but if thou mayest be made free use it rather for he that is called in the lord being a servant doulos is the lord's freeman rather freedman apelutheros likewise also he that is called being free eleutheros is christ's servant doulos here the contrast is plain and direct and three times repeated first corinthians chapter twelve verse thirteen whether we be jews or gentiles whether we be bond or free douloi or eleutheroi galatians chapter three verse twenty eight there is neither jew nor greek neither bond nor free doulos nor eleutheros colossians chapter three verse eleven there is neither bond nor free doulos nor eleutheros revelation chapter six verse fifteen and every bondman and every free man every doulos and every eleutheros revelation chapter thirteen verse sixteen and he causeth all both small and great rich and poor free and bond eleutheros and doulos 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 18, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, eleutheroi and douloi, both small and great. Thus, by an accumulation of evidence, even to weariness, it is demonstrated that doulos means a slave, as certainly as eleutheros means a free man. Here are twelve distinct and unequivocal instances of contrast. I take it, then, as most conclusively proved, that doulos properly means a slave, a person under absolute authority for life to a master. 2. The second subordinate proposition with an inference is that Paul advises servants to abide quietly in their condition. This he could not do if the relation of master and slave was, in itself, a sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20-24 through 24. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou, etc., as above. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Here note. 1. This is a spiritual call, that inward vocation of the Holy Ghost, whereby a man is made to hear and to obey the gospel in a spiritual sense. He who is thus called is a converted man. But there is a modified sense in which the word is used to signify a man's employment, his state and condition in this world's affairs. And the apostle indulges a play upon this sense. In verse 17 he settles the principle, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. The gospel does not come to break up the social relations. If a hired girl is converted, it does not hence follow that she must sit at the table and her employer take turns with her in the housework and table waiting. Paul was not a leveler in this respect. But let everyone pursue his business honestly, is any man called, being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called, being uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. These outward circumstances are trifles. What a man's business is, what his condition in life, is a small matter, if only he has the spiritual vocation. 2. Among the called at Corinth, were found some servants, doulos, slaves. Then sprang up the question, If I am called unto the service of Jesus Christ, can I any longer be obedient to an earthly master? Can a man serve two masters? If I have taken Christ's yoke upon me, how can I be, and continue, a doulos to my old master who bought me? Now it is easy to see that if Paul had preached abolitionism, there would have been directly a slave insurrection at Corinth. 
if he had decided that conversion to Christianity nullified the master's right to control his slave and made him free, it would have brought Christianity into direct collision with the civil and domestic relations of the whole Roman world. But Paul was no abolitionist. He would not interfere in the least with the master's authority. He had, a little above, decided in favor of another social relation. Marriage, though consummated in a pagan state, he says, is binding, even after one of the parties has converted to Christianity. The question had been raised, Can I be the spouse of Christ, and also of a pagan husband at the same time? Certainly, says Paul, the one is a spiritual, the other a natural, moral relation. Let not the wife depart from her husband. So here, let not the servant depart from his master. This is a third remark. The relation is not to be renounced. Let every man wherein he is called therein abide. If he is a doulos, let him remain contented. He can be a slave in regard to temporal things, and yet a free man in regard to spiritual things. There is no necessary collision between the claims of the two masters. If your earthly master acts uprightly, he will never require you to do an act forbidden by your heavenly master. But should such a case occur, why then obey God, and suffer whatever punishment man chooses to inflict. For, Manumission was often practiced in the Roman and Grecian world. Paul advises the servant, if his master offer to manumit him, to accept his freedom with gratitude. Use it, rather. When grace touched the master's heart, and especially if his conversion, as doubtless was often the case, was brought about by the patient and quiet obedience and manifest improvement of his converted slaves, it cannot be doubted, he often freed his slaves. And this is God's plan of abolition. A person who, in the phrase, use it rather, can find a warrant for a slave insurrection, for robbery, theft, and murder gives melancholy evidence that he himself is the slave of his own pride and wicked passions. 5. Paul points out the method of the spiritual freedom. It was by purchase. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Most violently and blindly has this passage been abused to the encouragement of slave insurrections. Be not ye the servants of men. This we, Mr. Moderator, have heard the subject of song here, contrary to the obvious, plain meaning of the whole context. It has been time after time harped upon as evidence that slaves are forbidden to serve men, whereas the whole drift of the context enjoins submission. Ye were bought with a price. Now, in what sense is it not undeniable that the price here is Christ's blood? 
and must it not follow that the servitude into which this spiritual purchase brings them is a spiritual servitude do they not take christ's yoke on them and yet these brethren insist on it that be not ye the servants of men is a natural servitude don't obey your masters according to the flesh resist them they have no right to command you and you do wrong in obeying be not ye the servants of men did you ever hear of such horrible perversion can this be the true meaning when other passages so numerous command the very contrary servants obey your masters we must say such a construction is not only violent but it is disingenuous and no man could for a moment allow himself in it but that the heat of excitement and the warmth of controversy blinds the mind and hurries the zealot over all rules of reason and of right no commentator ever entertained such an idea until modern abolitionism invented it the world i presume was ignorant of such a construction but it is a fair example of the logic of excited feeling paul urges the doulos to abide content in his condition because though a servant of man he is christ's freed man a spiritual free man but a slave civilly but he must not abide the doulos of man say these brethren must not be civilly a slave because he has been spiritually bought with a price the apostle may contradict himself but he must not teach the duty of servants to obey their own masters when he says be not ye the douloi of men he must not mean spiritually but naturally end of proposition from rev george junkin part a